I think that the average football coach, every practice is like, we're going to break down barriers today. We're going to push the kids. And when you push kids constantly, you're turning them into workhorses and not racehorses. So you enter the game fast, happy, healthy, ready to go. back coach duke and jr simmons process preparation performance and we are ecstatic jr we have a big time guest tonight in tony holler everybody knows him from the track football consortium feeding the cats he developed this whole mindset of how we should flip things upside down and learn that it's okay to be wrong sometime and learn that you have to change things coach how you doing i'm doing great tonight thank you how are things in plainfield illinois uh very quiet you know, I, I haven't seen my team. Um, let's see, this Saturday, it will be four weeks since I said goodbye to my team. And, you know, I'm 61 years old and I've never had a spring off. You know, I, I've had stuff going on my whole life every spring. And this is, this, that's weird, you know, to, to not have a sport and not just a sport to watch, you know, like baseball, things like that. But, you know, this is my 39th year of coaching track. You know, so right. this is a big change. And I think I ran track for 10 years before that. So that's like 49 years where track has been my spring. And so uh, it's just gone. How are you keeping in touch with your athletes during this quarantine time? Because like you said, track is a big deal for you. And you, you have the track football consortium. I know you're a track coach there at your high school. You know, I know you're helping players all and athletes all across the country. What are you doing now to keep in touch with those athletes that you're missing out on? Well, I'm always available. I, you know, they all have my, my cell phone. And, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't want to bring up their hopes a whole lot. You know, I, I, I'm not a guy that is a prescriber of workouts. I told them that if they want to stay in great shape, they know how to do a speed workout. You get out three times a week and do a speed workout in the street. I said, if you want to take some time off, take some time off. So no, we're, you know, I'm not a big believer that, that great athletes turn into nobodies if they, you know, take three or four weeks off. Matter of fact, sometimes they come back better than ever with that time, which tells me that, that maybe the grind that they go through in, in their normal lives uh, may not be real good for, for performance that, you know, practicing six days a week may not be the best way to get better sometimes, that sometimes we improve more when we get away from the sport. So, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I, I, you know, I probably am a failure in terms of, of, of coaching my kids virtually at this point. Sometimes conventional wisdom is not exactly the best wisdom. I think, you know, I've seen on social media the last four weeks since we've been on the quarantine, everybody's putting out, make sure you do this workout. And these kids are doing this today with your program and feed the cats, which I want you to get into it's a different take on things. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, just for people that, that don't know the Feed the Cats background, 21 years ago, I, had a, you know, I was a successful track coach, but it was always hard to really get the true cats to come out for track. By true cats, I'm talking about guys who are fast twitch, powerful dunkers in basketball, wide receivers in football, running backs in football, you know, those, those prime athletes. And, of course, you know, it's very selfish of me to want those kids out for my track team because those are the kids <laughs> yeah. that will win track meets and win championships. And, and one of the questions I got often was coach, you know, how much we run in today. And, and I finally decided in 1999 that we were going to give up running, that we were no longer going to run, that all we were going to do is sprint and jump. Mm -hmm. And we were going to have 45 minute practices and the kids track practice would be the best part of a kid's day which was a total flip because track practice was the worst part of my day in middle school, high school, and college. And I would think that many track athletes would agree with me that track was not a pleasant experience ever. You know, I, I wonder why people even do it. So I kind of just sold out with the, you know, shameful, you know, we're just not going to train very hard. 
but, and it worked, you know, I got my best kids out. We, um, we won the four by one state of Illinois four out of the next six years, which is wow. unheard of. Jeez. Oh yeah. It's unheard of. And what I found out was not only were we getting great athletes out, but they were improving measurably. And my average kids were improving measurably. And my freshmen were improving by measurably. One of the things about feed the cats is that we time. I tell people that, that you're not sprinting unless you are spiked up being timed times recorded times ranked and times published it has to all five of those things have to happen or they're just running so right. we time every speed workout is basically timed 40s and 10 and time 10 meter flies i have a free lap system and so all those things happen and and when you you got all that data you know it was like i just stumbled onto something that uh was a brilliant way to improve speed and power and it would just it just shocks me every year how little, I mean, like 20 years ago, I was doing a lot more than I was doing now because the minimum effective dose necessary to improve your central nervous system is to me just amazing. Uh, people who visit my practices are shocked at how little we do. There's a phrase we use around Jeff City High School here in Missouri is there's a lot of great athletes that Jeff City never saw. When you were talking about you need to get the kids out that are going to help you, do you think the kind of the magic pill, so to speak, is we're going to have fun, we're going to work, but we're going to do it smart? Right. And then I think, you know, that, that word fun, I, I want my kids, what the two cornerstones of Feed the Cats is happy and healthy. By going minimum effective dose, your kids are, are so healthy. When, when our season ended four weeks ago, I had 37 sprinters on the team. And I had 37 sprinters that were 100% healthy, which is unheard of with track teams. And it's usually your best sprinters that are hurt. <laughs> it just that's just the right. way it is. So, so yes, uh, one of the things I didn't say about cats. Cats are are typically fast and powerful, and and but they're not real fun to coach. And one of the things about cats is cats really don't like to run. They 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 want to win but yeah. they don't want to run. So that's why we gave up running. If you don't believe that, put a, put a leash on your house cat sometime <laughs> and take it on a jog. Now that cat is, I mean, he'll, he'll be competitive as hell if he sees a mouse. He, he's not going to run around the block with you. And that's the way the great sprinters in high school are. And by the way, those are the great wide receivers and the great defensive backs and the great running backs. And then what really complicates things is, is the typical football coach was not a cat. The typical football coach was a grinder, a guy that came early, stayed late, did not like cats. Guy scoring all the touchdowns and he didn't even show up half the time in the weight room. Mm -hmm. I was in right. the weight room every day. You right. know? And, and, those are the, and so I have to work really hard with coaching coaches to learn how to deal with cats in football, especially. Coach, I read your article a football coach's guide to feeding the cats. I'll ha I have to tell you, my central nervous system was just on high alert. It was just, it was going crazy. I was super excited. I couldn't wait to tell people. I was like, yes, I, this is, this is the stuff I believe in. And we could dive into the Pareto principle and the 80, 20 rule and all that kind of stuff. But I love the fact that you included first do no harm, right? If first what thing. you're, yeah, if what you're doing is actually causing a problem with your athlete. Your scheme doesn't matter. Your culture will, may not matter either because they can't do what you want them to do in any way, shape, or form. So I'm reading this article and I'm going through it and I'm just going to read a sentence of it and then I'm going to let you tell us how it came about, okay? Because I, I, I love this. 20 years ago, I stumbled into a training system that I coined Feed the Cats. It was initially for fast twitch athletes and sprinters in particular. Now I see everything through the lens of feed the cats. And you go on to talk about Neanderthal football coaches and don't get me wrong. That was me for a while. I was that guy. Yeah. Meatheads. Yeah. But tell us, <laughs> tell us why you were compelled to write this article. Well, I, I mean, 
it's weird. I have a, a multi-sport background, which I think really helps me. I was born a coach's kid 61 years ago. My dad coached basketball for 47 years, high school and college level. Um, I was a head basketball coach from 1981 to 1990. So that was my dream was to be a head basketball coach. And then I got fired and I took the head track job the same month, weird thing, and became a, a track guy. So, but all through my career, I was a quarterback in high school. My mom's three brothers played college football, two of them became Hall of Fame football coaches. So I have this strong football background. All three of my boys played football. And throughout the time that I coached, I was probably one of the worst assistants. I was good, but I was not a very good team player and, and that those people are shunned in football. I always looked at practice as almost abusive. You know, when I say first do no harm, I saw football coaches doing harm every freaking day. And it really pissed me off, especially when I had this, this feed the cats mentality where I want my team on Friday night to be fast and powerful. I do not want them to be trained as workhorses, but I saw teams everywhere I went. And I, I've, I think I coached under seven different head coaches and everywhere I went, I saw programs that valued work over performance. Mm-hmm. I even joke that um, the average football coach would rather lose than to be outworked. I've had many football coaches who I've gotten to admit that to me. And then that's a powerful statement. Totally. That means you're, you're upside down, buddy. I had all this building up inside of me. Like I said, I think I was an assistant football coach for 25 of my 39 years of coaching. And then what really built up inside of me is watching my three boys who expected to love football, have the joy of football stolen from them due to just militaristic, long, beat you up, punitive physicality. I mean, just all the crap that, that I have seen. And two of my boys are football coaches now, I think because of that, because they're, they're going to provide an experience to kids that they did not have. That's kind of what I saw. And, and, and you know, and even though people say that, you know, that I'm like outspoken and all that stuff, I waited till I resigned before I wrote that article, you know, so <laughs> I'm a wuss just like anybody else, I guess. And, <laughs> and it's, it's so weird. One person said to me, why is it they read my stuff? And they said, why is it that change doesn't ever come top down. Hmm. I'm like, well, I'll quote, you know, Bernie Sanders. He says, change always is ground up. I mean, revolutions never come from the top down. So we can't expect, you know, Alabama to uh, be the leader in innovative stuff. Because basically, if you look at what Alabama has done the last 10 years, they've been extremely traditional in their strength and conditioning program, in their conditioning, all that stuff. Now, having said that, I think they got tired of getting beat a couple times this year and they went out and hired two uh, sprint guys mm. for their strength oh, conditioning. Nice. It's, oh, it's, it's going to turn the whole world upside down with these two guys because they're, they're the two guys from Indiana. They're not quite feed the cats, but they're really, really good. By saying they're really good, they're going to put sprinting as a priority. How fast you are is going to be the priority. Right. Not, it's not going to be the weight room. You know, yeah. it's not going bodybuilding is not going to be the priority anymore at Alabama and you know, they're going to be hard to beat. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, I want to, I want to tell you this publicly coach. I am not that Neanderthal. I, I'm not that guy anymore. I well, if remember, you like my article, you're a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I truly believed at one point in time, Hey, if we just continue to work, to work, to work, there's no possibility of having an error. So we'll just keep the repetitions as high as we can because repetition is the mother of all learning, but there's the law of diminishing returns that happens. Mm -hmm. And I love the quote that you had in the article, amplification through simplification. And you have to understand what gives you your results. And just like you said earlier, by those five or six ways, we're not sprinting unless it's measured. And it's measured like this. These are the qualifications that you have to do. And once you do it, get out, mm-hmm. get out, you know? So this, this whole mindset of we can really achieve more than what you think by doing less makes a hundred percent sense to me as a physician, as a coach, as a dad, 
as a bystander, as a onlooker, how do you think we change the mindset of those guys that are still like, we haven't been out here long enough yet. Let's, let's keep going. How do we, how do we change them? Well, I, I, it's really, really hard because uh, football is, is their most traditional sport is the most religious sport and the most militaristic sport by religious. I mean, there's not many sports that, that pray before games and after games, but it's very common in football. So, I mean, it's seriously, it is, uh, it is something that's unique. And I think it's unique in a good way. I think every kid should play football. Having said that, it is so hard. I've had head coaches that like, man, I am going to feed the cats and feed the cats is a minor revolution right now in football. It's, it's, it's actually happening. And I've had head coaches come and visit me for three hours and their biggest concern is the two or three guys on their staff. That's not going to go along. You know, I mean, that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people understand how entrenched hard work and by hard work. I mean, if there's gas left in a kid's tank at the end of practice, you have failed as a coach. And that's not true. We actually want right. gas in right. their tank when they leave. We do not, I'm, one of my sayings is, we don't want to burn the steak. Never burn the steak. We always want to undercook it. You know, when I, when I consult with coaches and say, okay, the first thing you do is, how, how long do you practice? Oh, well, we go about two and a half hours. I go, okay, you're going to have to cut it down to like an hour and 45. They go, well, how are we going to get everything done? Uh, I said, well, do less things. Do right. less. Right. Well, we got, we got offense to install. And, and I'm a believer that in, in high school football, your offense is too big for you to have it in your brain. And you need a play card that has like binders and you're trying to look <laughs> like an NFL coach. Then you are way too complex because what, what football is really a game where you want your kids to play fast. To play fast, you have to be pretty much instinctual. And if you're having to think crap out all the time, you're never going to play fast. Thinking football players are slow. So I tell them, instead of having 15 running plays, let's have five. Let's have, instead of 15 pass plays, let's have five. And when you get bored with those, then you can add on. But let's simplify that. Instead of doing 15 reps of a certain thing, you do one perfect rep. If it takes you four reps to get that one perfect rep, do four. But uh, that's one of the things. <laughs> I, I think the most brilliant things in the world are simple things. In four by one handoffs that we do, I stumbled on, on something. It took me 36 years to stumble upon it. But hmm. instead of saying, let's do five good handoffs in a practice, I would say, give me one perfect one. Hmm. And and it, the motivation that the kids had to do one extremely fast, perfect handoff was just incredible. Um, I increased their focus and their intent and all those things, you know, like we always video them too. And, and I'd say, hey, that looked good. Look, look. And they go, coach, I don't think that's perfect. I go, no, it's perfect enough. Let's go home. You just don't hear football coaches thinking like that. It's like, we have to rep it, rep it, rep it. And I'm a huge believer that you need to rep what's important, but also you need to stay, keep your practice short. And, you know, you mentioned Pareto principle. And I think every person in the world, when you say 20% of your work gives you 80% of your results, everybody kind of shakes their head. Yep. Right. Yep. right yeah. But, but then my next follow-up question is what's your 20%? And people don't think enough about that. People don't think enough about what is it that we do in practice that is essential and meaningful and, and, and therefore we should prioritize it. Football coaches want to go in eight different directions all the time and right. it drives them crazy. And as soon as they, if you can get them to read the book Essentialism, you know, I, I think that's a, a big step in the right direction that they will start looking at, okay, which ones of our offensive plays, if we had to get rid of half of our offense, which half would we get rid of? And as soon as you get them to do that, they'll get rid of the bad half. 
not the yeah, good right. half. Yeah, They'll right. get rid of the bad half. Right. So, you know, you just got to get guys thinking like that. And But even then, it's going to be hard to convince everybody. It's kind of interesting, even from my own perspective. You know, I look back at myself from 10, 15 years ago and how I was as a coach. I'm like, you're, you're a dumbass, you know, because <laughs> you just thought differently then. And, and as I've gotten older, you know, and you read more and you study more and you learn more, you, you start to change your mindset on it because, you know, we've mentioned before on the podcast, I coach baseball. And we won a state championship a few years ago. And I tell you what, the sooner we started having fun with the kids at practice, the better we got. We had good players too, but we're setting off fireworks at practice and doing stupid stuff. And, <laughs> you know, and I don't know how we didn't get the cops called on us half the time, but it was fun and they wanted to be there. So, you know, our field's off campus. And instead of the kids going, oh, I got to go to practice today, it was a full on sprint you know, from the school down to the field because they just didn't know what was going to happen that day. And I think sometimes people, they associate the word fun with you're not working hard. Right. And that is not the case. I mean, we're not we talking about like goof, goofing around fun. We're talking about looking forward to something. Absolutely. Right. That, you know, that's what matters. <laughs> we worked our butts off down there, but my God, we had a lot of fun and we still have a lot of fun. You know, I read something uh, that you'd put out, the, the Ten Commandments of Feed the Cats. And as I was looking through it, the one that really stuck out to me, it said, never crush the physical and emotional soul of your athletes. And when I read it, it really made me think, have I ever done that? You know, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't sit here and say I've never done it. I think I have. And I know I have. <laughs> yeah, and it's it, wrong. It's wrong. It have. is. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess my question on it is, I think in order to achieve sustainable success, you're going to have to abide by this. And I'd be interested to, to hear what you think about that. I think I, I touch coaches that read my stuff in a kind of an emotional way, in a way that they remember themselves as athletes, in a way that they think about their own kids. And I tell you, coaching my three sons, and I coach all three of them and taught them in class was really important to me because more than ever in my coaching career, I started to see my sport through their eyes. And I did not want them coming home dejected ever. You know, if I had to get on to my son about, I wanted to make sure I could pick him back up. And if I couldn't, I want to apologize to him before he leaves. I, I, I apologize to my kids every time I have to work their ass off. I mean, every single time. Like, okay, guys, track and field, our practices are typically short and fun, but we do have to learn how to sprint further. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like this, this is going to suck today. It's really <laughs> going to be hard. The good news is we'll take tomorrow off. <laughs> and, yeah, right, and, right. and they're like, coach, what are we doing? Oh, we're going to run three 200s really freaking hard and – with only three minutes rest. And they'll look at me like, that doesn't sound too hard. And it is. I mean, it's like, right, yeah, they're right. in a fetal position. But anyway, I, I think, <laughs> you know, that, that people say, well, you crushed them physically. That, well, I picked them up the next day. And mm -hmm. one of my sayings is, never let today ruin tomorrow. And, and you say, well, in that situation, well, there's actually one more word of that. Never let today's workout ruin tomorrow's workout. Right. And uh, one of the things that is really counterintuitive about all my football stuff, and I'm sure we'll get to pro programming here in a second, is that I believe in team sports, you let the game be the hardest thing that a kid does during the week. That's counterintuitive. Yeah. I, my father is a basketball coach. I remember it every year. He'd say, we're going to practice so hard that the games are easy. And it made sense to him, and it made sense to his players. I flipped that upside down. The game's going to be the hardest thing we do, but we're going to enter that game happy, healthy. We're going to be 100% healthy. We may only be 80% in shape, but we're going to be so freaking fast that the fourth quarter may not matter. And here, here's the crazy thing. We learn by stories. This is an important story. A meathead, 15 years football coach it was so bad he actually left the profession for a while he came back read my stuff and started feeding the cats 
which means that you don't bring kids in on Saturday morning and run them at seven in the morning. You, you let sure. them sleep in and watch college football. You don't have seven hour meetings with your coaches on Sundays. You stop that stuff. You, you sure. learn how to do stuff with Google docs and, you know, let the coach be a family man and all that kind of stuff. But he emailed me after the third game this year with two bits, two things. He said, one thing, the wife of one of my assistant coaches wrote me a letter thanking me. Think about that. Think yeah. about yeah. thanking him because her husband was a better husband, a better father, because he spent half the time at football that he used to. Mm -hmm. And here's the other thing. He said, we had a running back last night, 33 carries. You may know Mascuda. Yeah. In, yeah. On the, just near, near St. Louis. It's yeah. on the other side. Of, yeah. And uh, his name is Josh Lee. And he said his running back had 33 carries for 327 yards. Ooh, good night. You know, a big, big game. And, yeah. and he said he was tired on that 33rd carry. But this, is, this gives me chills. Uh, he said, there's nothing we could have done during the week that would have made him fresh for that 33rd carry. And see, deep down as coaches, we think that if we right. run them enough gassers, that they're going right. to be fresh after right. 33 carries. They're no, never no. going to be fresh, no. ever. No. Except the fact that the game's going to be a bitch. It's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. But the really fast, healthy guys are still relatively fast in the fourth quarter. Right. So, so it works. I got, I got chills, coach. Hold on. I, got, I, need, <laughs> yeah, I need a second because I've got like 18 things that I want to say. And I want to talk about the program and I want to ask a bunch more questions. I'm super excited right now. That's why I'm talking a little bit faster. Well, I got all night. So we okay. <laughs> one thing you said that struck home with me immensely is give me one perfect rep. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invoke my father-in-law into this. I love the man. He's he played college baseball, Kansas State, very much into positive thinking and how you speak to somebody. And he goes, you know, when you hear, we'll use baseball. He goes, when you hear youth baseball coaches talking, they're like, hey, don't swing in a bad pitch. By time the kid gets to the plate, he's repeated that in his head and all he hears is don't swing. So the kid goes up there, he watches three balls go right past him. He comes back and the coach goes, why didn't you swing? And the kid has no answer. He really doesn't because of the, the power of the mind and what happens. So what you're telling them is a clear, concise directive of the positive thing to do, not the make a decision on what I have to do, which is what I, I, I love so much. I mm -hmm. mean, that's, that's right where it needs to be. And I'll tell you, JR and I have so many conversations about all of this stuff with what is your 20%? How do you highlight it? How do you get rid of all that stuff that you don't need that just, it's been ingrained in people that they do for years. It's just nonsense. How do you get rid of it and focus on what matters right now? You know, I sent you some pre-show questions and I'm going to ask because it's one of my own personal failures. We play class six here in Missouri, extremely good athletes. It's the highest level we have when we're playing football. And one of the things that I noticed is that when we're playing teams at the end of the year, those dudes are freaking fast, man. They look faster in person than I saw them on the tape. And we're getting into the last weeks of the year. And then I'm looking at my, my own players and I'm like, we're slow. Like we're slowing down. And I feel really bad about, did I do this? How do we, how do we change that? Is it just through reducing what we're doing? Or is there something else that Feed the Cats has that helps get those kids so that they are freakishly fast at the end of the year. Well, that's a, that's a loaded question. And, <laughs> and, and You're I, welcome. Have, I have the answers. <laughs> no, the, uh, uh, okay. One thing you got to do is make speed a priority in the off season. By priority is something you say, well, yeah, but here's the deal in the art of war. There's three ways to win. There's misdirection, there's power and there's speed. Well, misdirection is what football coaches are good at. That's what you do on paper. Power is what football coaches are good at. That's weight room. Speed has always been just accepted as that's like a, you can't coach speed. You know, I, I say that track coaches, they're bad. Say that God creates sprinters. Coaches create milers. 
And, you know, mm -hmm. those guys will never beat me in a track meet because they're wrong. You know, correct. Correct. You can get fast, but to get fast, you have to prioritize speed greater than the weight room in the off season. Now, the amount of time may be 50 minutes of a speed session and 50 minutes of a weight room session. The time may be equal, but nothing that you do in the weight room can interfere with your speed work mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. And, and you have to truly sprint, which means spiked up, timed, recorded, ranked, and published. You have to do those things in the off season. Now, by doing that, you are not just feeding cats, but you are attracting cats. One of the problems we have in, in football these days is we are not getting the cats out for football anymore. And right. we're telling the cats are all playing basketball. And, and, you know, and there's, there's not a school in America where two or three of the basketball starters could not really help the football team. Yeah. I mean, True. really help the football team. And so yes. by changing your mindset from a conditioning, military, religious sport into a speed and power sport, that will start attracting cats. So you got two things going on. You're attracting fast twitch athletes. And then you're also feeding those athletes with what they love to do. And, and so your summers, I mean, when I say, and I'll send you the article, stop doing mindless conditioning. I tell people stop conditioning, period. You don't ever condition ever. You right. all speed, all power. And gee, I got to tell the McCaffrey story here. <laughs> my, my, um, my good friend, Brian Kula, who is the trainer of Christian McCaffrey. I don't think there's a day that goes by that we don't talk anymore. I mean, we, we talk all the time. He trained Christian. Nothing Christian did in the entire off season last year was more than five seconds. Oh, wow. Nothing. Because anything more than five seconds, you're not working on speed anymore. Right. Like, like uh, somebody asked, uh, what are the three most important things to training? Um, and Brian Kula said, speed, 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 and speed. That's like five things. <laughs> right, right. So you would think that, okay, Carolina Panthers had a, one of those stupid conditioning tests. Like they're everywhere, you know? Right, right. And uh, you would think that, oh, Christian's not going to be ready for that. He won the damn thing. <laughs> Which means this is weird, but we can get aerobically fit by stacking together anaerobic work. You can do five sure. seconds of intensity, rest enough so you can do five more seconds and do enough of those that you actually become aerobically fit without slowing yourself down. Because right. endurance work messes with the CNS, messes with mechanics, and makes you slow. So you just get rid of all endurance stuff. And that's hard for a football coach. That's like yeah. taking their a body part from them like <laughs> right no wait gassers are a part of the process no shut up it's not <laughs> you know um so okay so now now we got you into you know from winter spring summer now you go into practice and what you have to do in practice is a hard easy concept or you could call it high low so what i suggest is you go high, low, high, low, high in the game, and then two days off. By what, what do you mean by high, low? This is what really bothers coaches. By high, we, we're going to talk, we are going to sprint on those days. Okay. I mean, we are going to get up to top speed. Now, we're going to get up to top speed with adequate rest. Oh, this this just, you talk about ripping somebody's body part out, out of oh, right. this. this right. Okay. Every football coach I know sees practice as their canvas and they are an artist. And part of the beauty of their practice is constant motion and hustle from drill to drill, which the drills are probably total BS or, you know, <laughs> wherever they're going. I mean, even to, to the water break and back kids have to run. Right. And so they're constant movement, but that's not football. Right. The right. average heist, the average, professional football player the most they play is six minutes mm -hmm. and it's the three hour and 15 minute game 
They are standing around all the time. Your practice should resemble your performance. If that's the case, then, then I hate to say it, but most of your practice should be standing around with intermittent, huge sprints and speed stuff. Right. So, so what you want to do on those, on that Monday, Wednesday, and we're not trying to be game speed. We're trying to be better than game speed. Mm. We are, I mean, like every route has to be at just like 11 on a scale of 10. I mean, sure. we want to be super fast. And you tell your, your, your guys, Hey, we're not going to be doing these on Tuesday, Thursday, because those are our low days. You, every running back that takes the ball, he, he's going to finish the play. He's going to try to get up to top speed. Mm-hmm. And I would even suggest on Monday and Wednesdays doing 10 meter flies in your warm up and, and, and timing them. That sounds mm-hmm. really weird, but that we are going to work on sprinting all year long. And my speed workouts are so simple that I think they could replace warm ups in, in football. I know it can. Uh, the average warm up makes me sick actually um, it's kind of silly. It's, yeah it's it's action yeah. attempt to get kids tired which is weird i just don't understand that so then what do you do on your low intensity days well you don't sprint it doesn't mean you walk through you can if you want but you know a stock block is not a sprint right right uh blocking and tackling drills are not sprints backfield mesh that's not a sprint linebacker read you know uh uh, defensive wreck, all that stuff. Uh, that's that's not sprint. And with every single day, you're thinking, don't let today ruin tomorrow. Don't let today ruin tomorrow. Don't let today ruin tomorrow. And that's huge because I think that the average football coach, every practice is like, we're going to break down barriers today. We're going to push the kids. And when you push kids constantly, you're turning them into workhorses and not racehorses. So you enter the game fast, happy, healthy, ready to go. And it is something you need to think about. Some of the kids will feel like they're not going to be good in the fourth quarter because they haven't worked hard enough. You have to sell stuff. And they're going to be hearing at home from their dads. Dads are the worst. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know what I'm saying? You know, like yeah. dads are on the sideline. I mean, they want you to hammer those kids. You know, they want you to crush them because that's kind of, I think it's abusive, but that's kind of what they remember and loved about football, you know? So it is, I mean, you have to be a good salesman to make this work, but if you do those things and have you heard of Brad Dixon? Oh yeah. Coach, we've had him at our our clinic. clinic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brad's, Brad's my guy. Okay. I mean, he's a feed the cats hundred percent. And when I put out my stuff, I think coaches need to be timing kids during the week. I did not think there would be a single coach in the world that would take my advice. He did. did. He has data showing that his kids are faster in November than they were in August. He has data showing this zero injuries because of it. Because matter of fact, they have fewer injuries because they sprint more. The average NFL guy, all these hamstring injuries, think about this. The average NFL guy never sprints in practice because he doesn't want to get hurt. And then he goes full speed in the game and pulls a hamstring. Of course he does. We have to inoculate kids. You know, it's almost like a vaccine that when we sprint at full speed, our body is is getting used to that speed. And so game speed is not going to hurt them. I love what Brad Dixon does. And, you know, there's, there's many other coaches that, uh, that write to me and stuff that I've never even heard of. They say, hey, we've been doing your stuff and it's really been good. So that's really fun and inspires me. It's interesting because I'm a really big South Carolina Gamecocks fan and they started instituting the catapult system with mm-hmm. their players during football. Mm-hmm. And I remember Muschamp talking about it a few times. He said, well, he got to his target distance today and we just shut him down because if he goes any further, we may have a soft tissue injury issue that's going on. And I think for some people, it's really hard to fathom the fact that you would just shut a, one of your best players down in the middle of practice, be like, you're done because mm-hmm. we cannot afford to get you hurt. And so if somebody's listening to this and they have this 
come to Jesus moment with this, that, you know, maybe there is something to this, where would you recommend they start? Um, I'm going to send you my most recent football article. And there are seven articles linked at the bottom of that article. That, that's a good place to start. Brad Dixon, uh, matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, but Brad just opened up his, you know, he has a tri-state yes. yeah, or something, yeah. but he virtual. couldn't do it this year. So he's yeah. doing it all virtual. And I think there's 15 coaches and I have one of the webinars that's oh, on great. there. You could maybe link that. And sure. that I, I, I think, I think he only charges like 40 bucks or something. And yeah, you get like 15 true. hours of good yeah. instruction from, and I think high school coaches learn so much better from high school coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think it's, it's a great, I mean, I love what he does. So anyway, that would be a great place to go. The other thing is the track football consortium which is groundbreaking stuff where we bring together S&C coaches, um, track coaches, and football coaches. We share high performance out of the box. I call it rebel talent thinking. You know, people that are, are willing to be different and willing to be wrong and will admit to you when they're wrong. And our people that we bring in are very accessible we, we have, I don't know if you've heard of, have you ever Steve Jones? He's, uh-uh. he's, he's one of our guys and very good friend of mine. <laughs> uh, Kimberly, Wisconsin, you know, a big school in, in Wisconsin. They won 70 games in a row. Oh. That's five consecutive 14-game seasons. Yeah. And his record as a head coach, 112 and 7. Ooh. Okay. And Steve Jones, if you had him on, he doesn't really want to talk about offensive schemes and defensive schemes. He wants to talk about leadership and love and mental toughness and the things that he feels are the most important things. So anyway, those are the type of people we bring in to the track football consortium. And I would say we really love to bring in people that are low volume, high quality. You know, if you say, what do you want, racehorses or workhorses? They'll say, racehorses, of course. You know, <laughs> do, do you want to do it like everybody else? No, I, I think I would rather do it differently. You know, and, and so it's just a whole new way of thinking. And yeah, I've surrounded my people, or I've surrounded myself with people that are willing to think differently. And I think it really makes a difference. Evolution is mandatory, right? I mean, you, you have to yeah. evolve. You can't. You can't keep doing the same things. You have to be creative with what you're doing if for no other reason to know what works and what doesn't work so that yeah. you don't continue to make mistakes. I want to ask you a, a couple of questions about the TFC, but I want to ask you one pertinent football question that piqued my interest as we were talking, and I'll apologize because it's not on our, our preconceived script, but do you think players in high school football should go play both sides of the football? I think if, if, if you need them to win, if you need them I think, to win. yes, <laughs> no, yeah, there you it's, go. it's, um, and see, that's one of the hard things. I, I think you should, your goal. I mean, going back to Brad Dixon, Brad Dixon coaches at a school with 265 kids, mm-hmm. which makes him a hero of mine. I tried to get him to come to Plainfield North and, um, he's like, why would I want to do that? I, I love my school. I love my little town, you know? And, and so, you would think that if anybody has to play people both ways, it's going to be at Camp Point Central, right? A, yeah, a school of two hundred sixty-five kids. But he really, really believes that you develop more players by playing people one way, and so that's his goal. Now, mm-hmm. I have a feeling like if the game's on the line, he's going to have his best athletes yeah. in the game. Okay, so it, it's kind of like what sure. when I was uh, most of my time in football was being a head freshman coach or head sophomore close coach. And what our goal always was is to start the game uh, with 22 starters. And the idea that our goal is still to win the damn game though, we will sub as needed. But what I wanted to mention about two-way players is that with a feed the cats approach, how would you change that if guys were playing both ways? I get the question. I've gotten that question a hundred times. And what I say is, you don't change it at all. They go, well, but, but you're doubling the playing time. So mm-hmm. they need more work. See, that's the intuitive way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're, if you're playing 
10 minutes of high school football, which still doesn't sound like too much to me, instead of five, <laughs> right. you need to do twice the conditioning. And I say, no, they need freshness more than anybody. Mm. They need a full tank of gas on right. Fridays. They need speed and power. And because they're such good players, that's why they're playing both ways, they're such good players, somehow we find a way to, uh, to excel when we're tired. My track kids never run more than a 200 in practice, ever. And we're still great in the 400. And to most people, that, that's like, how, uh, no, wait, how could that? You're not ever trained. And I tell them, I said, the last 100 meters to, an, to my guys will suck. It will really suck. I mean, it's just awful. Yeah. Uh, but they're fast. And they're competitive. Right. And they're talented. Now, if you have a guy that's trained three times harder than my guys, the last hundred will suck for them too. And anybody that's ever run the 400 understands that it will really be hard no matter what your training is, but I want things to be hard, but to be the fastest, most powerful athlete going into those situations because they're going to be highly competitive. And I just think you can trust kids in football to, uh, to be good in the fourth quarter, even if they're playing both ways. I agree hundred percent. Don't disagree with that at all. And I think sometimes getting past the coach is difficult, but it's also, like you said, getting your player to buy into the fact that you're going to have to sit out a few reps because you're going to need that gas in your tank. You have to, you, you can't play 162 plays in a football game and expect to be as good as you want to be. You wrote this article, you wait it till after you retired. I get it. You started the T you started the TFC, right? You, you went out on a limb and said, people need to know about this. People need to hear about it. When did that moment occur for you that you said, you know what, guys, we're doing this. It's about evolving track, football, coaches, athletes, people. When was it that that happened for you? Well, it's interesting. I, I think I spoke at my first track clinic 21 years, 20 yeah, I guess it was 21 years ago, and um, or 22 years ago. That's actually the year before I started feeding the cats. It was my first time. I spoke to about 23 track coaches, and I just, I think deep down, I'm just a teacher, you know, and 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 I love being in front of people that that want to learn. It, it is, it's totally awesome. I mean, I, I just love that, and um, a classroom full of coaches in my opinion, is better than any classroom at the high school level I've ever been in front of. I mean, I taught honors chemistry for the last 13 years, and those kids are highly motivated 15-year-olds, but they're still 15-year-olds in in high school, you know? You had to work really hard at getting them to like it. But the coaches are really eager learners, and I just just love that. And so I, I would get asked a couple times a year to speak at a clinic. And it was like my favorite couple weekends. And I met this guy named Chris Corfist. And if you haven't, <laughs> Chris Corfist, sure. is a, he's, he's a worldwide legend. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he, is, he is, I met him 11 years ago, I think. And, and we have breakfast once a month. And we're in contact every day. And uh, he and I are not the same, but we're really good for each other. And so we were having breakfast one day and I said, where are you speaking this, this, uh, this winter? And he goes, nowhere. <laughs> I go, that's unbelievable. I mean, he goes, yeah, you know, like when you speak at like Indiana's clinic, they don't think they can have you back for like the next two decades because yeah. you've, you've already spoke there. Right. And I go, yeah, but you're like one of the best voices. And he goes, he goes, where are you speaking? I go, huh, nowhere. Same thing. <laughs> and he goes, we should start our own clinic. And so within 15 minutes, we had hatched this plan that it should be not just track, but track and football. Six or seven years ago, Chris started bringing in this guy named Douglas Heel from Cape Town, South Africa, a kinesiologist, 
wow. to Chicago. This guy's mind blowing. Um, I wrote like eight articles about him. I spent about a hundred hours with Douglas and basically it's a manual therapy. Being a doctor, you'll, you'll think this is all voodoo shit, but, uh, <laughs> but, and you'll be a hundred percent correct, but it's, <laughs> it's mind blowing. So we were into this thing called be activated. Yeah. So we called our first one, the track football activation, uh, consortium. And then we dropped, dropped the activation thing. And now it's just TFC track football consortium. We've run 11 of them. We, we have, we went to Tampa to do one, one in Dallas, one in the St. Louis area. But what's weird about the activation thing is three years ago, they changed it from calling it activation to reflexive performance reset. Yeah. RPR. RPR. It's hard to talk. I don't think I could talk to any college football or track program that's, that's not uh, doing RPR or is interested in RPR. It is, it's really taken the world by storm. Kids are faster, more durable, and it reboots the brain and the central core of its belly breathing. So it's not really as voodoo as it seems. Between Feed the Cats, Track Football Consortium, and Reflexive Performance Reset, those are just three uh, things that has just kind of happened to me in the last six years. And it's, it's crazy stuff. So it's between me and Chris and our first one, we, we did it right. We didn't pay for the venue. We just had it at a high school. I think 60 coaches came before wow. you know it. Carl Lewis is speaking a couple years later. Um, Stuart McMillan spoke. I mean, we've had really, really good people. Uh, Brian Kula. McCaffrey's trainer spoke at two of ours last winter. So it's, it's, it's the most unique clinic uh, a football coach would ever go to. And I, it's highly recommended. Coach, what do you get more satisfaction out of? The, the fact that it works or the fact that anybody can apply it and it works? That's a, I love that question. When you talk about applying it, I feel like what – what I am teaching and I can teach effectively is a way to cook. Now every coach wants the recipe. We're just kind of hardwired. Like tell me exactly what to do on Mondays and Tuesdays. And no, no, it's a way to cook. I, I get a lot of satisfaction that the way to cook is highly uh, transferable. And I agree with coaches say you shouldn't copy other coaches. And that's not what I'm telling people to do. This is a way to think. This is a way to cook. Now, what you actually do in your practices, you do under these underarching, overarching principles, things like don't burn the steak, never let today ruin tomorrow, mm-hmm. do less, achieve more, the disciplined pursuit of less, the Pareto principle, all those things. You know, and then you get to do the recipe yourself. So you're not copying anybody. The reason why... I go from town to town or podcast to podcast, <laughs> kind of like an evangelical minister doing tent revivals is, that, I mean, I, I'm out of control. Um, <laughs> but the reason why I do this is, is because the joy I get knowing that kids are better off. Yeah. That, that, that I'm doing something really good for kids. I mean, my boy said, had bad experiences in sports and there's a lot of boys that do and gosh if coaches boys are having bad experiences i mean guys that are going to be lifelong coaches did not have a good high school experience and and if if i'm changing that for kids that's a really good feeling and then just as much maybe more so when i hear a coach tell me that his marriage was on the rocks and he was not a good father. And that, that when he started the disciplined pursuit of less, that his life changed and, and his priorities became balanced and his home life got better. And he started liking football more or track more or basketball more that in a way I'm kind of making people's lives better. I, I don't want to overstate that, but um, th- that's what, when I get a testimonial from somebody and I get it often, 
because I'm so published now and all that. But when I get somebody saying how wonderful the experience was in coaching, their kids had a great experience, how much their wife enjoyed the new guy that she was living with. Um, When I hear those things, it's like, yeah, I like to talk about this. You know, I think everybody as a coach intrinsically wants to be good. You know, they want to do what's best, but I don't think sometimes they really know how to go about it. And I think you really hit on a good thing, which was you got to love what you do. But on top of that, you also have to be open-minded enough to understand there are two sides of the equation sometimes. Sometimes people just don't quite get to the, you know, the point to where they're like, yeah, there is another viewpoint. There was a guy I used to coach with that he would say, you know, we, we're at the fence. We're trying to pull you over, but you got to help us pull you over. We can't push you over this fence. You, you got to yeah. come over here and join us. You know, my last question for you would be, when did you realize you were really on to something with this? I, I think that when, when I went to the sprint-based track model, which doesn't sound weird at all, you know, like, of course, sprint-based, yeah. you know, that we're, we're not going to have an endurance base. We're going to have a sprint base. Um, we, we are going to focus on what matters, and that is how fast can we go. When I did that and I saw how competitive my kids were compared to other schools, they just kind of went out there and ran and didn't act like they liked it. My guys were like uh, predators, man. They, they just went out and got after it, and, and they, they loved it. I tell my team often that I know they look for inspiration from me, but the great teams inspire their coach. You need to tell kids that a lot that my coaching is often a reflection of you guys. If you guys come and inspire me, I'm going to be a better coach. And, you know, it's, it's a two-way street. So I, I think that started to happen where, where the kids that I coached, and, you know, sometimes I wonder, was I just lucky to have great kids? And, of course, I was lucky to have great kids. But I think their kids are great everywhere. I mean, yeah. you know, you can have – some bad years, but overall kids are fun to be around, especially when they love what they're doing. And so I think the inspiration that I got, the feedback I got from the kids and winning is intoxicating as hell, you know, state championships and gold medals. And, you know, I mean, that's really, really cool stuff. And, and so it just feeds that fire but I don't think I really understood that I was onto something until other coaches in other places started having success doing yeah. my stuff. You know, I, I, I tell people that, um, I mean, my two sons, I don't know if they're a better track coach than I am now, but they, they will be, I mean, they, <laughs> they will yeah. get much farther than I've ever got. And I think there are coaches out there, who are feeding the cats that feed them better than I do. And, you know, that's my legacy. You know, that's like, you know, I'm 61. Hell, I might be dead of COVID-19 in three weeks. Who knows? (laughs) But, but if I am, there's still this, this cult of crazy coaches that put kids first, speed first, and, you know, and, and have better lives because they're coaching a little bit differently than they were coached. And I think that's where I knew that, you know, something good was going on. I don't even have, have another question, to be honest with you. I just, it, <laughs> it, it, it truly is, it truly is what we tell our players, right? It's, it's about building relationships. And you said it earlier. Sure. That coach doesn't want to come on and talk about offense or defense. He's talking about love and leadership and, and things like that. And I think oftentimes what coaches forget is you're not just creating a relationship with your player you're creating a relationship with your other coaches and you are continuing to develop and mold the relationship you have with your family at home. Right? So if you're taking away from one of those, you're really kind of hurting all three of them. In my opinion, you you can't, people always want to look for work life balance, but I kind of say it's work life harmony. 
those three things are going to fit together where they need to. And if you're asking one of them to overly sacrifice so that somebody else can do something, you're probably not helping them. So I'll get off my soapbox about that. But I want to ask you one more question, and then we're going to finish this up, Coach. I really appreciate your time. Where does it go from here? What are the next steps? Where does it continue to evolve from with feeding the cats? It's evolving now. Like I did a podcast yesterday with uh, two guys from uh, UMass. And we spent, I think, over an hour talking about programming for soccer and lacrosse. And I think my entire sports life concerning soccer and lacrosse is probably less than five minutes. I mean, I, <laughs> but, but with my multi-sport background and with those over, you know, like if you know how to cook in track, the cooking is kind of the same in, in all sports. We talked about letting the soccer game be the hardest thing you do during the week. Put more emphasis on speed than you do on endurance. That's kind of the exciting thing. Like in, uh, in September, uh, I did five workshops, four in uh, England and one in Dublin, Ireland. And most of the coaches there were Gaelic football, soccer, and rugby. The whole thing about this way to cook, I don't know if it would work with swimming or not. I know swimming is a high-volume sport. I don't understand swimming. <laughs> but, but who knows? Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe a sprint-based swimming program will become – popular someday it makes sense to me if you're yeah, a sprinter sure. and i mean i don't know why you're doing three hours in the pool if you're trying to be a fast swimmer but uh right. but they do i don't something about gravity and buoyancy and, and whatever um, <laughs> um, but anyway uh, just getting to talk with you know football coaches like you uh, soccer programmers i think that's the future then again you know with with this crazy time we're living in i don't know when will be the next time we have a group of coaches sitting in a room together. Our life right. might be doing, well, this isn't bad though. No, I mean, too bad. We, we've had fun, you know? Yeah. Um, had a good time. Yeah. So who knows where it will go. And like I said before, you know, if, if it goes nowhere, there's people out there that are, you know, have new ideas and that helps kids and helps coaches. So that's all good. I totally agree with you. I think one of the things that this break is doing is resetting that, that work-life harmony for a lot of people. I think it's resetting it. It's allowing people to understand what their 20% really is and where to mm -hmm. focus at that. I also think one thing that's doing for athletes is something you kind of touched on and I, I'm going to define it using my own words. It's recreating the hunger that they have for the sport they play. Because too often in life, we don't know what we have until somebody takes it away, right? Absolutely. And, and right now, it's been taken away from a bunch of high school kids, college kids, youth kids. My 12-year-old is like, are we going to play baseball this summer? You know, the, so those things that they're just like, oh, mom and dad signed us up for, or it's another track season, it doesn't become just another. It becomes something they want. And you wrote a great article about it, 20,000 hours, and what did they really learn? They learned hmm. their cell phone and nobody ever taught them. Right? That's right. It's because, That's right. It's because they love doing it. So I think this break resets us, takes us to the 20% if we identify it properly, and it teaches us why we love something and why we want it back. Coach, I got to get to the TFC. I got to get yes. there. I, I want to come very badly. I talked to JR about that earlier this year. We were going to head down there. I had a work thing to do. But the next one, pencil us in. We'll we're there. there. We're, we're oh, there. that's awesome, man. 100%. We're, we're there. We're probably going to have our headsets on and probably going to be doing like a live <laughs> podcast right from the TFC. That You can do that. I mean, <laughs> we, we, you know, one of the coolest things about the TFC is that when people come, it's not just like going to a clinic. For some reason, I, I don't know why, but people believe they belong to something. One of the, my favorite things that Chris Corfus said to me one time he says, you're one of us now. And, and I thought, holy cow, I'm one of the Chris Corfus group. And, and I know how good that made me feel. And, and sure. I think that the people who come to us, I've never met a more giving, enthusiastic group of people that not only speak there, 
but attend to things. You know, they want to be the type of coach that answers emails to other coaches. And, you know, that's a, that's a really cool thing because, you know, we're not always going to have winning seasons. We, we need that support group. Uh, besides just our family, we need a support group of coaches that care about us, you know, and, and a lot of coaches are at each other all the time, you know, and they, they don't have to be that way. You know, I think coaches, best friends should be coaches and uh, we do a good job with that. I think. JR, I don't know when we're releasing this, but I think it's gotta be like tomorrow. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's, it needs to be quick. this <laughs> it is amazing. This, this is amazing. Some stuff. people on our, on our backlog here. Yeah. Coach, <laughs> coach, great. professor, doctor. I don't even know what I should call you. There's, <laughs> there's gotta be a degree for what, what you've done. I mean, there, well, we, well we here's the deal. I have no letters after my name or before <laughs> my name. I, I, I'm like the only teacher in the history of the world that taught 39 years without a master's degree. <laughs> I mean, I, I have, I have no, I have no credit at all. Like all I am is just a teacher and a coach, but, but that doesn't mean you can't have good ideas. So right. it still works. That's right. Well, still the credit works. is, the credit is in your athletes and their performance and what they ultimately inspire you with. Right. Yep. yep. So that's, that's the credit. Oh man. Amazing episode. JR for process preparation performance. We're out. We're out.